gentlemen, time a little off the record, on the record, uh, with Mr. Joe Campo, managing partner of the great Campo, Middleton and McCormick, CMLLP.com, 631-738-9100. Uh, a long, long time ago, no, I'm not going to sing, but Joe did a blog uh, called uh, Off the Record. The idea came about in which, uh, let's go on the air with it. It was so good. He covered it, covers it everything. Uh, and thus, uh, Off the Record, On the Record. And uh, also the Strata Alliance. We're going to talk about that. Mr. Joe Campolo, ladies and gentlemen. Sir, how are you? Jay, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Well, I'm really not. Eh, I'm all right. Let's put it that way. Um, a little disappointed. i got to be honest with you. A little disappointed, Joe. Because, you know, I want New York to do so well. I want it to thrive like it once did. I haven't seen any of that. I haven't seen any anything of that magnitude uh, for a very long time, very long time, pre-pandemic, then the, the virus and the 110 briefings and the resignation, and in comes the, the, the governor of Kathy Hochul and squeaks by, valiant race won by Lee Zeldin. And I'm looking at the next four years, and I'm saying to myself, are we actually going to get better? Are we going to try? And I just don't think so. Honestly, I don't think so. So my outlook, eh, feeling a little blue today, my friend. A little blue. But I, no pun intended in that regard. No pun intended. <laughs> a lot of blue. You know, I, I, I get it. First of all, I'll say, you know, hats off and, and congratulations to Lee for running such a great race. And congratulations to uh, Governor Hochul for sure. Um, I didn't think she'd win. You know, I, I just, I just had a, a vibe. Um, I mean, if you just base it on lawn signs, I, I driving around, you didn't see any Hoka lawn signs at all. Uh, the polling numbers surging towards the end. It reminded me a lot of um, of when Bill Clinton ran against George H. W. Bush, and and sort of at the end just surged at the right time and uh, and won it on the economy. Right, his Bill Clinton thing was it's the economy stupid. Here we are. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm super disappointed because I just don't think New York's going to get out of its own way for the next four years. And I think the biggest challenge we have is that these next four years are uh, are critical. You know, we're having economic um, recessionary periods. Interest rates are going uh, to be much higher. And uh, I don't have any sense that there'll be any sort of economic plan, which to me means there's just going to be a mass continued mass exodus of, uh, of business people from New York to other states. You know, Jay, you look at uh, Florida and, and DeSantis getting a, you know, a, a landslide victory down there, and you look at how close in New York, so Lee, I think Lee lost by a little over 300,000 votes, but when you look at uh, from from COVID through today that about 310,000 New Yorkers left New York to go to Florida, and you see that DeSantis, who you know won uh, his first election by just about one percent, and won this second election by about twenty percent. Um, and you see Lee loses by three hundred thousand people, and three hundred thousand people left New York and went to Florida. It's not hard to to start seeing who left New York and who went to Florida. Um, you know, and I and I think that's the challenge we're going to have here in in New York. You know, we have we have economic problems. You know, and we have, and 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 so everything feeds into trying to recover uh, the economy still, which uh, which hasn't fully recovered from from COVID. The labor market hasn't fully recovered, and 
you know, it, it, it's building blocks. So, you know, people want to feel safe before they're going to go out and go to restaurants and go shopping and go to all these places. And if they don't feel safe, they're not going to go out and on and on and on. And we really needed to start to rebuild this state. And it wasn't so much for me. It wasn't so much for me about um, being anti-anyone. It's that I, I honestly don't think anybody, any rational person could look at this state and say, uh, it's doing great and it's headed in the right direction and let's keep let's keep pressing on the way we have been. I just don't understand how voters were able to go out there and say that. I just don't. I don't think anybody can honestly say that. And I just don't see a remarkable change coming out of it. I mean, I just don't. And that's super frustrating because for me and for my business and for many, many, many other, you know, service providers in the state that service New York businesses, I just think we're going to continue to see this this exodus of, of business people from the state relocating. I mean, it's just it's just going to keep happening. And and then where does New York go, and, and, and who's going to piece that all together from an economic perspective? I, I, don't, I, don't, see, I don't see any of those plans being put into, uh, you know, being put into place. And, you know, for the first time, and it's, it's weird because I've lived, in, I've lived in New York my whole life. I was born in Brooklyn, and then we moved out to Long Island. And, you know, but for the brief time I was in the Marine Corps, the four years I was in the Marine Corps, I've always been here. Um, and I just don't feel like I fit on in New York anymore. I really just don't feel like I fit here anymore. It used to be, you know, Long Island. I live on Long Island, but I'd love to be in the city. I'd love to spend a lot of time in the city, and I just don't feel comfortable going into the city. Haven't since COVID. Um, don't feel comfortable now because, you know, I'm a guy who would like to take the subways, and I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how do I even fit uh, in New York anymore, it just doesn't feel like I fit here, and that's a that's a terrible feeling to uh, you know to have. And where are we headed? I mean, what's the plan? What? How are we moving this forward? How are we making the state more business friendly? How are we generating economic relief? How are we getting out from under the debt we have? How are we getting these infrastructure projects moving? How are we getting them funded? All these things have to be accomplished over the next four years, and, and if it's the same cast of characters, then there's, there's no incentive to get it done. I agree. Uh, it's the first time I ever heard you say, uh, Joe, you don't fit. You don't feel like you fit anymore. I think a lot of people are feeling that even more today. And, you know, when Joe Biden was elected president, you know, my thinking was, you know what? Uh, I'm going to give this guy every chance, every chance to get it right. And it's been an absolute disaster. Uh with Kathy Hochul, you kind of are in that same mindset this morning because politics has taken an ugly turn. And this has been going on for a while. There's a pandering going about, you know. It's about a base. It's about a progressive movement. Uh, you want to call it the Bernie AOC effect? Go ahead. It still is there. It still resonates. It's ugly. It's destructive. It's deadly. And you want to be able to think, okay, let's give Kathy a chance. But have we seen anything out of her over the last 15 months or so, give or take, right? August 24th, 2021, she took the reins over. Uh, have we seen anything out of her, really? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you look at where New York is right now, and listen. She has 
and has had an opportunity, Joe, to steer the state in the right direction, to keep this state from barreling off a cliff. And she has not done anything to rein it in. Nothing. I mean, you talk about the economics of trying to bring state spending under control, lower the back-breaking tax burden, insane cost of living that everybody's going through right now. Hard-working New York families are struggling. You know, whether to put food on the table on a given night or maybe heat the home somehow. We're getting cold weather soon. It's going to forget, you know, this been a nice little stretch. Getting cold weather. What's going to happen there? Okay. And people are packing their bags this morning. Many have told me over the last couple of months, if Zelda doesn't win, I'm done. Many have told me that. And I believe them. And that's what it, that's what you have here right now. Uh, she hasn't done anything to show you anything, you know. And and that's the you know when it comes to police, you know, qualified immunity, defund the police, repeal cashless bail. I mean, listen, she favors criminals over law-abiding citizens of public safety. I mean, that's it in a nutshell. Recidivism rates off the charts. Not according to Andrew Stewart Cousins, though. She thinks it's great, the majority leader. Call Hasty? Eh, just the press hyping it up. See a woman get beaten in the subway? Elizabeth Combs? Just a figment of my imagination. Not a cop in sight. So you ask yourself this morning, are you proud to be a New Yorker now? Man, I'll tell you, I think a lot of people job the feeling you do. And it's unfortunate. It's the greatest city in the world the greatest city in the freaking world i mean it it is hands down but i gotta tell you that thought process is waning right now it's becoming a distant memory and it's because we have leaders that have an opportunity but they're not going to do it i have very little faith that she's going to turn this around I got to be honest with you. Very, very little faith on this ninth day of November 2022, Joe. It's unfortunate. That's yeah, how I'm feeling it's today. Exhausting. Yeah, I feel yeah. you know, and I, and I think I think I can speak for a lot of the business community. It's just exhausting. New York is exhausting. It's been exhausting. It's been uh, incredibly stressful and exhausting, particularly these last few years. With uh, with COVID and the struggles and the costs and the taxes, and now trying to and and the challenge with New York is absent you know a different playbook. The money grab is always from businesses. The money grab is always from business people. Heavier regulations, and it's you know it's it's like you know being in an abusive relationship the relationship that 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 small businesses have with the state of new york is like we're in an abusive relationship and the state says oh but you know it's not going to be that way trust me i'm going to do it better next time and then you just come back and they be abusive towards the businesses again and it's it's exhausting it's it's honestly exhausting that's how i feel right now i just i feel exhausted by having fought so hard over these last few years to really try and help so many people stay here in business during the most difficult business times in our lifetime. And, um, and there's just no light. You just don't see any light for businesses and business people here in the state. And I don't know how 
you know, a state in this particular economic situation. And, and you know, most voters, look, you know, voters, voters are funny. You know, they, they vote and then they don't want to take any responsibility for what they, uh, what they voted. So they vote for, for candidates that want to, you know, defund the, uh, the police and then get pissed off when the police aren't there to help them. I mean, voters are, are you know, we're, we're all our, our worst enemies um, for sure. And, you know, a lot of voters now, they just vote for a party for whatever reason. Their families, they've always been that party. They, you know, in their brain, the other party is the enemy, no matter who it is, what it is. And the way we're created is a republic, right? We vote for representatives, and those representatives are supposed to reflect the values of the people. But it never works that way. You hit the nail on the head earlier when you said, I mean, special interests run. Special interest groups run those elected officials, you know, and when we started this government, it's called a republic, not a democracy, it's a republic, we vote for these individuals who are supposed to reflect our community's values. You know, Ben Franklin said it's a republic if we can keep it, and special interest groups on both sides are really pulling this country apart and being as divided as it possibly can. This entire country, this entire country, good, bad, or indifferent, is built on commerce, was built on business, was built on the economy, was built, that's the way this whole country was built, and now, you know, we're doing everything we can to disassemble commerce and business from taking place here in the States. It's, it's, it's sad. It's frustrating. I mean, I just spent, last week I spent some time down in, uh, in Charleston, um, had a great time, beautiful city, felt very safe walking around. And Charleston, you know, Charleston is such a historical place. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's really um, eye-opening about the history of the country because, you know, anybody that's been to Charleston understands that the Battery down by the waterfront, that's the place where, you know, almost all of the slave ships would come into the United States and slaves right there in the park would be auctioned off. And to, to walk around down there, Jay, to really walk around down there and just think about, oh, my goodness, you know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, what was going on in this park? It's, it's, it's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. But then you look at the, you know, the, how far the country's come. Yeah, we have a long way to go. I get it. How far the country's come from that point, right? And in, in, in the totality of European countries, we're a baby. We're a couple hundred years old. We're a baby. But we've come so far as a country... And how have we done that? We've done that by building the world's best economy. That's how we did it. We didn't do it by, uh, you know, all this little policy issues that they try and, and they try and put on the ballots and, and pronouns and this and that. We didn't, we didn't become as far as we did progressively. Yes, we have a long way to go. Of course, we're constantly evolving as people. But to become the greatest economy, the most free country, the greatest system in the world in such a short period of time, you know, it's overwhelming to think that way. And every single thing now is being done to drive business. What made this country grow and great and what empowered everybody to be able to grow more free and more prosperous, everything just seems to get undone so quickly. And New York is the epicenter of that economy. New York City is the epicenter of that economy. To watch it, just think of where we were 9-11, and here we are 21 years later. We're so different, and, and it's just sad. It's just a sad thing, and I really, really hope, I really hope that um, Governor Hochul understands, particularly since she didn't get such a mandate, 
and the vote that we, we need to fix that. We need to fix it and make people proud and want to be New Yorkers again. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence. Um, I don't have uh, no, I have zero confidence regarding one-party rule. We see how it has devastated this country uh, on the national stage, the state stage. Way back in time, when our fathers were writing up everything of what would be the best thing for this country, it's about balance. It's about a government. It's about priorities of putting the people first. And that's why with these electoral seasons that come and go, you know, we say all all along, you're better off now than you were three, four years ago. I mean, how can you honestly say you are? Honestly. Unless you got like a zillion dollars in your bank, okay? But that's not real, okay? And that's why I always implore voters, take back control of how you are governed. Set standards, okay? Set standards that we want for those who are given the honor of serving us. We are supposed to set the tone. But we are oblivious at this point in time. And that's the biggest problem that we face right now. And somehow, some way, until I see a change in that type of thinking, the pandering, the progressive movement, uh, the denying beyond belief, uh, you know, a woman who calls her challenger two days ago, he keeps hyperventilating about the... Qu- really? This was after two subway attacks. I mean, come on. Honestly. I mean, that's how demoralizing it is. I'll tell you another thing. And you look at what happened in Florida last night. And you look at Ron DeSantis's win, which was, what, 19 points? No poll had that going. You look at how Marco Rubio handled business in the Senate against Val Demings. And by the way, uh, Florida can get it right as far as tallying a vote. My goodness. I mean, we're still tallying votes in New York. Glitches, outages. I, I mean, come on. Do we live in the 21st century with technology? I think we do. And we still can't count ballots properly. I mean, it is unbelievable. But I got to tell you, DeSantis winning last night the way he did. And by the way, you look at Miami-Dade County, which was huge last night. And by the way, polls closed in Florida, Joe, was 7 o'clock. I mean, they had results going before 8 o'clock. And the fact that the Santa's and Rubio won Miami-Dade, no public official, Democratic, excuse me, GOP-wise, ever won that. I think it was 20 years. That was an indicator to me. And I got to tell you, Donald Trump has to think real hard today. But he won't because he's got an ego and we know what the deal is. And he's going to make an announcement that he's going to throw his hat in the ring. You got to be careful. You've got to be real careful here. If you care about the Republican Party and the direction, if you're Trump, you got to think, you know what? This guy DeSantis, he's got something. Look what he did against Charlie Chris last night. You know, he's got something going here. Think hard, okay? For the good of the party, good of the country, and everything else. Trump should do that as far as giving it a little more thought. Giving it a little more thought. Because you know DeSantis wants to run. He wants to run. 
And that's something that is going to be one of the biggest talking points in the history of this country that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks and onward into 2024. That was a statement beyond statements last night, as far as I'm concerned, with that DeSantis victory. Yeah, but, you know, I, I, I tend to try and stay focused on issues, right? And, and it's clear to me, in my mind, that, you know, fixing and making sure the U.S. economy stays strong and robust is what's going to give everybody opportunity moving forward. Um, what, what does that require? Efficiencies, efficiencies, good relationships between gov- government and, uh, and business. And, you know, the, the overriding sense of, you know, every citizen has the right to be left alone. I mean, really, that's what, what America stands for. And, you know, love them or hate them, like them or not like them, you know, Ron DeSantis in the last four years went to work in the state of Florida and totally turn that state around, totally turn that electorate around. And like you said, Miami-Dade and, and Palm Beach County. I mean, Palm Beach is now a purple district, which has been blue forever. Uh, you know, Miami is the same. Um, and a lot of that has to do, I'm sure, with folks relocating from, uh, you know, from, from blue states that wanted to be uh, down there. A lot of it is, and, and this is the problem, this is the challenge that New York has right now, is anybody that goes to Florida for any period of time, says, oh, my goodness, it's so easy down there. Everything is so easy down there. People that people that have taken up residency down there to go get their driver's license, to go do anything administratively that's super aggravating here in New York to do. I mean, people have panic attacks when they have to go to the DMV here in New York. They find that it's super efficient and really easy and user-friendly down in the state of Florida. That's the constant feedback I get with regards to how it is to, to operate inside the state of Florida. And that's, that's what people want. That's what people are going to gravitate to, and that's what businesses are going to you know, gravitate to as well. And so you know, that, that's what, what DeSantis and that administration have been able to really effectively do is get Florida to become a poster child of a place where it's easy to live, it's easy to do business, and you're pretty much left alone. That's a pretty good model. I think most people would say that's a great model. It doesn't matter whether it's Republican, doesn't matter whether it's Democrat. That's just a great model to live and work by. And now, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. So here's a guy, and look, that's what Bill Clinton was able to do, right? Take the uh, take the state of Arkansas and really, you know, bring talent to the state of Arkansas and make it shine and say, you know what, I was able to do this in a in a rural state. I'm going to be able to do this in the country. And so now you have a guy like DeSantis, and he's been able to do this in the state, and it's become a poster child and, and a role model for how states should run and operate and efficiently, and all the boxes checked for somebody who should be able to run for president and say, I was able to do it for a state, I'm going to be able to do it for a country, and you have Donald Trump standing there saying, you know, don't you dare do it. And that's that's a huge challenge that the Republican Party uh, is facing right now that fracture is likely going to kill them in 24, and then the question is, you know, where where does that leave DeSantis in, in six years from now, rather than two years from now? He should be. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows this. But Ron DeSantis should be the presumptive presidential nominee for the Republican Party. He has a a beautiful model in Florida that he can showcase off and politics aside you know it's it's a it's a conservative state that's not even what i'm talking about i'm just talking about the progress he was able to make as a governor through covid he has a platform and everybody knows he should be the guy running for republican candidate in 2024 for president based on that model it's it's just obvious 
Now, what Donald Trump's going to do about it, I don't know. He's announced that he has this big announcement in the 14th. He's told, you know, publicly that DeSantis running would be a mistake. Um, uh, where does the Republican Party go? That's that's really going to be a, a train wreck. I mean, I think, you know, Trump probably had a negative impact on some, particularly here in New York. Um, you know, even though I, I don't think, you know, he he tainted Lee as much as people thought he did. Still, he only lost by 300-plus thousand votes. I mean, and I'm sure some people just didn't like the way Trump handled things and, and didn't like that Lee, you know, advocated on behalf of Trump. So that probably had some impact uh, to do with how the governor's race went in here. Nationwide, I'm sure the Roe v. Wade decision being leaked and decided before the midterm elections didn't help a lot of Republican candidates nationwide. You know, but when you look at what does the Republican Party stand for, I don't know anybody has an answer to that anymore, Jay. You know, and this is always the challenge with two-party politics is once one party has a has a fracture, and certainly it's fractured now between Trump and DeSantis, but what does the party stand for? Who's the leader of the party? What does it really look like? And it's a shame because it would be a good platform, I think, because it's a simple platform for Ron DeSantis to be able to say, Look at what me and my team were able to do with Florida in uh, in in four years, and uh, I went from you know winning governor by less than one percent to winning by almost twenty percent because I made this just a user friendly state. So again, uh, you know, we'll we'll get in our way. Uh, American people will get in the way of 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 good progress and efficiencies and being able to really assess a candidate on the issue and look at his state and say, wow, he was able to do that and it's really good, or wow. I really don't like that. I mean, Gavin Newsom is going to have the same platform in California, and, and it's going to be interesting to see how he how he positions, having won again, how he positions everything that's gone on in the state of California. But it would seem like those two would be the ones who are going to roll out and say, look at what we were able to do in our states. And then the American people choose it. And that's how the system should work, right? That's exactly how the system should work. This is what I've been able to do. And this is what I'm going to do if I'm president. But it gets very muddy and cloudy, and politics is nasty. And Trump's got to come in and 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 you know have his temper tantrums. And it's it's so frustrating because so many things could have been so different if Trump wasn't Trump. Yet Trump was Trump, and he won. And so how do you undo? How do you unring that bell? But it is just frustrating where the country is right now. I I can't remember it this divided ever before. You know, it, it's about governing, but letting the people do their thing, letting letting them live accordingly. And that's what we've lost as far as, especially one-party rule. And, you know, listen, DeSantis lets people live their lives the way they want to live them. You know, and, and the mandates and everything else, you don't hear about mandates. You know, it's about keeping businesses open. It's about going with data. It's about going, uh, you know, science data. It's about being cautious, but it's also about letting people do their thing. That's that to me is what goes. See, it's almost like you know, less is more for me, but not pertaining to the penal code, so to speak, as far as criminal justice is concerned. Less is more as far as governing. That's where it's all about, and that's what we've lost. That's what we've lost as far as party affiliations and everything else. And that's why people are leaving the state. And they will continue to do so now. Because they can't live their lives anymore. Reckless spending and everything else, taxes, who can live a life like that? Nobody. 
Nobody wants to struggle. Nobody wants to decide if, uh, gee, uh, do we call the oil truck today or uh, do we order a pizza? I mean, listen, these are real decisions right now. That's the biggest problem here. And it's just completely out of control. And we see how inflation is hurting everybody. We see the gas pumps and everything else. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. It's getting worse because we can't rein it in properly. Rational thinking I'm talking about, too. Spending, rational thinking. How do we fix inflation? Stop spending recklessly. That's a start. That's a start. You want to have Jerry Powell every couple of weeks raising your interest rates. It's a start, but you see, it's not going to be reckoned. It's not going to be right. It's not going to get better under Joe Biden. It's just not. And it's the same concept regarding Kathy Hochul. It's just not going to get better. All of a sudden, the light switch isn't going to go on. And say, you know what? Everybody's right. I'm going to give a judge his power back, his or her. We're going to fix this. It's not going to happen. It's just not. And it's about playing this deadly game of political football over and over again. Listen, we see it at all levels. We see it in Suffolk County, too. Joe, the, the county systems have been down now over two months. Two months. Unheard of. Has Steve Ballone uttered a word to anybody of assurances? No. Transparency. We don't have that anymore. Uh, it's unbelievable. I tell you, it is unbelievable. What do you think happens to Lee Zeldin? Does he does he throw his race uh, his hat into the county exec's ring? I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a that's a couple of uh, rungs down on the ladder, you know, a little bit below. But I don't know. Where does Lee go from here? Yeah, I, I can you know I can almost guarantee. I mean, I don't have any direct knowledge, but I can almost guarantee that Lee has not even contemplated what plan B would be. I mean, the guy was totally committed and focused on, you know, winning this race. I mean, and he, he knew, he knew, you know, midterm election, he knew um, that the Republicans would likely take back the house and he knew, you know, he was, would have been a senior guy. He would have gotten some, some plum uh, committee appointments um, he knew what he was giving up, and uh, you know, I I doubt that he has any given any thought as to uh, you know as to what's next. I mean, he's been laser focused on trying to uh, trying to win this race. Um, you know, light speed, no 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 hesitation, no sleep. It's really been amazing to uh, you know to watch and and watch his work ethic, and that's you know again that's that's. What I what I see and what I value is when somebody's willing to just work that hard for the people of the state. And and you know, Jay, you touched on something, and, and you know, you you always stumble upon these gems and, and and move past them quickly. But I wanna, you know, I wanna unpack uh, something you said and something that we've really gotten very far away from in this country. You know, and I'll give a, a thirty second reminder. You know. The whole point of the United States of America was, you know, the the colonies here were working to pay the monarchy in England, right? It was it was they would work 
the majority of what they would earn, they would have to give to the monarchy, give to the governors here in the colonies, and they kept crumbs. And, you know, the revolution occurred, no taxation with that representation. All of that history occurred because we said, you know, and, and the United States and the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, it all basically said, that's wrong. You know, we're supposed to be free. We're supposed to be able to live our lives unencumbered. And government is supposed to be there to assist us to do that. Right. That's that's the whole point of what the United States system was about is we're supposed to be free and government's there as assistance for us when needed. And then I'm I'm a I'm a huge believer in that. People who need people who need help should get help, right? We're we're the richest country in the world. People who need help should get help. But we've 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 lost that. We've lost that and that's exactly what I feel like is going on in New York. And that's why all of a sudden I don't feel comfortable like I belong in New York anymore. It's not like you know, we're here in New York, and we're raising our families, and we're running our businesses, and when we need assistance, the government's there, but otherwise we're able to just do what we want to do. That's not what it feels like. What it feels like is we're working for the state. You know, we're working for the state. You're you're working in uh, January through August. You're working just to pay all your taxes and everything else, and then September through December, you get to keep what you make. And it's it's a terrible feeling when you feel like you're just you're just working for the state, and to, to fuel, I mean, look, the people leaving, so so this is why the state of New York is just this, this is just backwards, is, you know, the pension systems here in the state of New York, you know, are oppressively high with regards to the burden on the taxpayers to be able to fund all those pensions. And then when those people receive their pensions, and they should, they worked hard, they, they deserve to receive their pensions, but they're able to leave the state and not pay any taxes to the state. So the taxpayers of New York are now paying all these people who have pensions who are living in Florida, South Carolina, Arizona, Texas, wherever they move to. Those people are spending their money in other states, and the taxpayers here in New York are still paying um, for those pensions. And, and it becomes unsustainable. It's an unsustainable model. So all we're doing as businesses here on, on Long Island in New York is feeding the system. We're working for the system. Rather than the system assisting us to grow our businesses and live our lives the way we want to, unencumbered by government, unencumbered by the monarchy. That's the whole point of what the United States is supposed to be. And that's the that's the frustration and the challenge, you know, that people, especially people who try to run private small businesses feel. It is not a support system. It's you're feeding the state, which is exactly, exactly what the colonies went through prior to the Revolutionary War and why the Revolutionary War occurred was they started saying, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I'm, I'm putting in all this work, I'm building up all this stuff, and I'm owning less and less and less. It doesn't make any sense. And we have a real challenge here in the United States. We really do, you know, because we got pressures. Yeah, I mean, huge pressures. You, you, China's a pressure, Russia's a pressure, North Korea's a pressure. We have all these pressures only by money. It can be solved only by making sure our defense systems are appropriate, making sure our military is well-funded and paid for, because we're not going to get out of those things without showing force. Those are not countries that, you know, diplomacy is going to work with. China is just not going to work with, uh, with, with peaceful negotiations. They're trying to build up their economy and their defense system to be bigger than ours, so that then they can negotiate from a position of strength. Russia's aligning with China to be able to do that. So we, we don't have the luxury of saying, oh, we can peacefully work this way out. We have to show them that we're strong enough to be able to have strength at the negotiating table with them. And where's that money all going to come from? 
You know, we COVID, COVID, we printed seven, eight trillion dollars out of nowhere. We just printed it. It's all going to be paid back at some point. So unless we get back to fundamentally allowing businesses to run and grow and hire people and have people keep more of what they're making, we're going to have a system that's broken down. And I think that's that's what's really missing in the United States right now. At least in New York. New York. And again, the one-party rule is deadly. Restoration, balance, put a government out there, putting the priorities of everyday people first. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, it's New Yorkers first, okay? It's putting people first. Kathy Hochul does not do that. Will she do that in the future? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think she's going to change her ways. Uh, you know, I hate, I hate to be a, a, a broken record voice of doom and everything else. But listen, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I never do. I, I don't see it. I want her to succeed. I get. I, I mean, I've had a chance for her to succeed. She doesn't show me anything. You think Joe Biden's going to turn it around? You think he's going to wake up with his Dr. Dentons and say, you know what? Jill, I've made some mistakes. I've, I've made some mistakes. There's no question about it. You know what? I'm going to restart the pipeline. And, and you know what? Also, Jilly, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, uh, take these leases, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put these leases and go forward with these drilling companies. You know we're gonna become energy independent. And the, I mean that epiphany does not exist, nor will it. It will not exist with Hochul either. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. It's a damn shame. I hate to sound this way. I really do. But let's, I mean, come on. I mean, who are, we, who are we kidding here? Honestly. Is Joe Biden becoming, is going to become a good president? <laughs> come on. I mean, is, is Kathy Hochul going to say, you know what? Put the Buffalo Bills on hold. Hold on one sec. Hold on. I got to keep people safe. I got to keep people safe. I don't care about the Bills. Terry Pagula, screw you. You got a billion dollars in the bank. Build your own arena. That's what you don't have this. You're not going to have this. And that's why people are leaving. Now, um, Supreme Court stuff with some of these colleges, Joe. You know, these lawsuits against Harvard. This is is what you wanted to talk about, right? The stuff with Harvard uh, and North Carolina. And these lawsuits against these universities, and really what it what it, what they are, folks, is there is a racial sorting that goes on in some of these elite universities. I'm talking these admissions offices, and you know, to give you an example, North Carolina, you know, very, one of the more prestigious universities ever, right? Uh, they're asking young people to check a box identifying themselves Asian. Uh, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, white, African-American, Native American. Um, You know, I mean, that's what it is. And applicants who mark Hispanic or African-American win acceptance with test scores and grades. Far below what whites and Asians on average need to get in. This is data that was presented to the Supreme Court, Joe. And, you know... The Supreme Court justice is grilling these attorneys for these universities. And it indicates that the court is going to outlaw using race to determine who's accepted here. 
You know, I mean, this is a big going. This is a big happening right now with some of these major major universities. Yes, listen, there was there was a couple of cases just recently in the Supreme Court, Jay. And, you know, I I'll, I'll start. You know, I mentioned before Charleston, and to me, Charleston was just visiting that area and understanding the history, and just really standing there. And I, I really encourage anybody who's interested in the country's history to uh, to spend a couple of days in Charleston. It's a really easy flight out of out of Islip. Breeze Airways flies right there. It's very, very convenient, very seamless. And, you know, to stand there at, and look at it, the harbor and understand that the majority of slaves that came into this country came in through that harbor and to be standing on those grounds and understand, you know, how how poignant that, that moment is to, to really be there is, uh, it's it's eye-opening and it's moving. It's it's really a moving experience, you know, and, and you can look, back and you have to look back at the history and understand how absolutely terrible those times are and they are just terrible times in this country it's it's a it's a terrible period and it'll always be a terrible period and again you can look forward and say my goodness gracious how much progress have we actually made in in 200 years and i know there's still a lot of progress to be made don't don't get me wrong but we have made a ton of progress and a lot of it was from you know 1965 the civil rights act which finally started the concept of affirmative action, which was which was critical. It was it was really important to start getting um, minorities, particularly blacks, into organizations, higher end, higher educational organizations, to start getting them on a level playing field. And the progression, um, you know, since over the past fifty years, let's say, or sixty years, has been. You know, it, when it first started, quotas were used by a lot of universities. So they would have a quota. They'd say, you know, 10% or 12% or 15% needs to be black. You know, another percentage needs to be Latino. Um, and then, you know, the Supreme Court over time basically said quotas um, are not appropriate. You know, but but the standard, and I think it was a Harvard University Supreme Court case, the standard is that preferences could be given to racial minorities. So if there are two applicants, who uh, who seem to be on their face um, aligned, um, and one is uh, is a is a minority, and the other one was white. A preference would be able to be given to the minority um, over the white student as far as applications are concerned, and that's the law. That's that's where it's been, um, and that's how things have been going to you know to help raise the number of ethnic minorities in. In educational institutions, particularly the elite educational institutions, right, where they're really expensive to get into, and family legacies are a big choice, uh, uh, a big preference for those universities. So UNC and Harvard are both part of this uh, Supreme Court cases going on now, and the question is, are they needed anymore? Are racial preferences needed anymore in these institutions, or has the system you know, worked itself out now that uh, there will be a natural diversity um, with it being racially neutral. And it's a it, look. It's a it's an interesting question. Um, it's an interesting question. I you know I follow the oral arguments on those cases. Um, you know for sure, it's a, it's a it's a tough, interesting question because I really I I understand and and you know look I'm a I'm a white. I'm a white man, you know, advantages uh, exist for, for white males in society that don't exist for other ethnic groups. I understand it. I also understand, you know, if you're, uh, you know, a white family that's worked really, really hard and is trying to get their, their kid into great schools and, 
you know, they don't get in because of preferences given to other racial groups. I understand that frustration. I understand, you know, and I can't, I can't really feel it, but I can certainly understand that having studied the history and really understanding uh, discrimination and the extreme discrimination that's existed in this country, um, you know, being left out of all of these organizations for all of these years. I mean, 200 years, Jay, you know, I, I've, I've written about this and spoke about it. I mean, imagine that you own a business and the government forces you to shut down and you can't have that business for 200 years. And then the government says to you 200 years later, okay, you can go start your business now. But the whole world is full of Walmarts and Amazons and everything else. And you have no money, no resources. And they tell you, go ahead and start your business. I mean, that's basically what we did to the slave community, right? Is slaves, we enslaved them for 200 years in the country. And then we said, oh, okay, you're free now. Go ahead and start a family, start a business, go try and get educated, and Jim Crow laws blocked them out of everything, and they had no money, and they had no skills, and a lot of them couldn't read. I mean, it's it's insane what this country's history is like. So I'm interested to see where the, uh, where the Supreme Court's going to go. My prediction is they're going to knock down these uh, affirmative action uh, requirements or conditions in universities, and I think um, that might be a mistake. It might be premature. Uh, but that's my prediction as to where it's going to go. It's going to be interesting to see if they have Clarence Thomas write the uh, the opinion on that. Um, that'll be a really interesting, uh, you know, twist on it. Um, but we'll see. You know, the country is always full of uh, interesting issues that are going on for sure. Time to tell me the latest regarding this uh, wonderful Strat Alliance. Tell the folks about it. Well, you know, Jay, we... Uh, <laughs> You know, we, we started Strat Alliance to really assist with uh, with folks who were considering selling their business. Um, you know, Long Island is a is a is a mosaic of great great companies here. Many of them multi generational, and uh, no real resources for people who are considering to uh, to sell their business. And so, over the years, we really figured out that you know a one stop shop for these folks um, is really a good business model, and it seems to be working out great. I have to tell you, in light of um, in light of the elections yesterday, and uh, and I think with um, you know with the Democrats staying in control here in New York for the next four years, um, I you know I think it's a it's a it's a tough spot for the state. I think it's a great thing for for business, and I think many many people right now are waking up this morning who have been on the fence about you know selling the business and leaving and going to Florida or South Carolina or Texas or Arizona. I think many of them are waking up today and saying, yep, it's time to really start this process. And that's exactly what we're here for, right? We're here to, to assist them with that um, from, a, from a legal perspective, from a, from a buy-sell perspective, from an accounting perspective. And, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting really to see you know, I, I have such a great insight into the business community because for 25 years, it's all I've represented are people starting, growing, and then ultimately selling their business. And I've, I've just never seen so many people so frustrated with uh, with New York as I do now. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out over the next few years. 